So let me ask you a question. What did you look like 20 years ago? 15 years ago, 10 years ago. If you're with your spouse, be careful right now. We're running into dangerous territory. Do you look different than you did that time ago? You'll see behind me some of my favorite photos of all time uh, from when I was in elementary school. I know what you're thinking. He's always been a looker. I don't want to brag, but from the time I was in uh, first grade until I was basically a junior in high school, I got picture retakes every single time. Never could figure out my smile. I'm not really sure. But these pictures here, these are just a few. Uh, I'm not exactly sure on all the dates, but this would have been late middle school, or this would have been late elementary school, early middle school. Now, this time in my life was significant because even though I was a pastor's kid, even though I grew up in the church, uh, you know, from the time I was walking into church nine months before my mom popped me out, honestly, it wasn't until about this time in my life that I really understood the love that Jesus had for me. Now, if you look at these pictures, I would say I look a little bit different today, right? I'm a little bit taller, a little bit hairier. Uh, I didn't have nose hairs. I do now. There's just a lot of things that are different. Now, go to the next picture. So the next picture is me as a senior in high school. Uh, I know. I'm telling you, I was a late bloomer. I, whew. Um, but this was a significant point in my life. When I was a senior in high school, I finally acknowledged a long-term call that God had on my life to go into ministry. I look a little bit different than I did before then. I look a little bit different than I do now. And then the last picture. This is an engagement picture of my wife Hunter and I. I know, she's always been a babe. I have went downhill a little bit from this time. Added a little bit here and here and here. Um, I look a little more tired because of two kids. But that, that photo is about from six years ago, about the time when I first moved here. These are different moments in my life. And when you look at the picture, all those pictures, you can probably see some difference, right? You can see some growth, some maturity. You can see just some things that look different. We're in this series called Your Future Self Will Thank You. And uh, it, it was really kind of birthed out of this book that I uh, began reading earlier this year called Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science by a guy named Drew Dick. Super interesting book. And at the very beginning of the book, he asks this question. He says, he says that he, he was having a conversation with his brother, who's not necessarily a super deep-thinking spiritual guy, but he asked him, are you more mature today in Christ than you were a year ago, five years ago, a decade ago. And it got him really thinking. This guy, uh, this author, uh, is a guy who's been a Christian since he was a young boy. He uh, went to seminary. He has, a, I think, maybe, maybe even has a doctorate. No, he doesn't because it would have been on the cover. But he went to seminary. This is a guy who has studied deeply. And he said it was chilling and hard to come to the conclusion that in some ways I don't know if I can say I look more like Jesus today than I did five years ago. I don't know if I can say that I'm more gracious. And in particular, I don't know if people would say I am more loving today than I was then. I show you the pictures because the question that has been clinging around, clinking around in my mind has just been this. When people can look at a picture of me over the years, they can see deep change. But if people were just to look at my life, my relationships, how I interact with people, 
Would they say that anything is different in terms of my spiritual growth and in particular how I love? Now, obviously love in some ways is a little bit more difficult at times to measure than other things. It's easy to look at a photo and say, all right, was a baby face for a long time, finally got a beard. It really helped. We can see those sort of things. Love, though, is a question, right? I mean, do, have, we, have we become more um, selfless over the years? I used to think I was a patient person, and then I had children. I used to be pretty joyful, and then adulthood hit, and taxes, and things like that, and responsibility, right? So, as we dive in this morning, as we're going to talk about love, we're going to talk about what does it look like to choose love daily, What does it look like to develop habits that will help us uh, be more like love and more like Jesus? I want you to be wrestling with the thought of, are you, wherever your spiritual journey has started, maybe you became a Christian a month ago, maybe you became a Christian uh, 50 years ago. But the question is, looking along the journey, where are you at today? And we recognize life goes up and down in some regards. But I think it's a fair question. While we're trying to look at and and say, what will our future self thank us for? Our past sometimes can really help us understand things. Because there's times where I look at past Aaron and I say, I want that back. I want that fire back. I want that boldness back. Because life can create inside of us cynicism. It can create inside of us a a, a belief where we don't always believe the best, as we talked about a few weeks ago where we, we, we start to just sort of be calloused by the world. We start to be shaped by the world rather than being shaped by love. And so if you haven't been with us, we've been in the series, as I said before, called Your Future Self Will Thank You. And we've been looking at habits, holiness, and the Holy Spirit and how they transform us. And we've talked about things like prayer and how prayer helps center our attention on Jesus, and Jesus changes everything. And we've talked about uh, how we think will determine who we become and what we do. That if you want to change your life, you have to change your thinking. And last week we talked about what you consume will inevitably consume you. That, that, that we can't compartmentalize our lives and say, this is something that I do that has nothing to do with my walk with Christ. This is something I do that has nothing to do with the relationships that matter most to me, like my marriage and my children. I can live this life Monday through Saturday, and on Sunday I'm this person. We talked about how important it is to recognize, are we being consumed by Christ or not? Today, like I said, I want to talk about love. And I want to continue in kind of our our thought process on habits and on goals. And and may I say this as we begin. I've been really thinking a lot about this as I prepared this message. That as a Jesus follower, our habits, goals, and resolutions should make us become more loving. And then if they don't, they're not really worth it. You know, we talked about a few weeks ago that God cares more about who you're becoming than what you're doing. Because who you're becoming will flow out to what you do. That if you're becoming more like love, guess what? The things that you're going to do that are important in your life, that you're going to put in place in your life, will help you become more like Jesus and more like love. Now, let's talk about love for a second. We don't have a ton of time to go deep into the weeds in this. But as we've talked about before, love is a word in Scripture that there's multiple different Greek words from when it was originally written. 
And today we're talking about this agape love. This is a love we talked about uh, about a month ago. That's this selfless love. It's this compassionate love. And it's this love that comes from God that we can only give as a, uh, as a conduit from the love that we're receiving from God. It's not something we can give to someone else just on our own means. And Scripture talks about love being the most important thing. Scripture reminds us that God is love. Now, if you want to know what love looks like, if you want to see love personified, look at Jesus. Now, Jesus said this when he was asked, what are the, the most important things, the greatest commandments? What do we got to do? What's, what's going to be on the test, oh, teacher? And he responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. It's not uh, make sure that you fill out this checklist. It's not do all of these sort of things. He doesn't give you this 12-step sort of thing of do this, do this, and do this. It's just love God and love others. And that they're connected. That if you don't love others, you're not loving God. And it's hard to truly love God if you're not loving others. That's it. So let's talk about what does that look like to choose love daily. Now, we talked about at the beginning of this series uh, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit comes from uh, Galatians uh, chapter 5. This is a guy named Paul who has this crazy story where his life is transformed by the love of Jesus. And he goes from persecuting Jesus' followers to being one of the greatest uh, leaders in the church of all time. And he talks about this idea of living a life led by the Spirit. And he talks about how there would be fruit in your life. That if you were a tree, these would be the things that would be hanging. And he says this, the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to notice what's at the beginning, what's at the end. Is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against all these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Did you notice what the first fruit of the Spirit is? Love. When Paul wrote to uh, the church in Corinth, he said, there's three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And it bookends, though, with self-control. We talked about self-control the very first week of this series. I think it's not by accident the order of this, you see? Because all of these other things, joy, peace, patience, kindness, are a byproduct of love. If you ain't got love in your heart, if you're not connected to Jesus, these things aren't flowing out of you. And yet self-control is the bookend because in a lot of ways, we're not very controlled people, are we? There are times where it's really, really hard to be patient with people, isn't it? There's times where I don't really want to be kind. There are times where I don't really want to choose joy. I want to be like Eeyore and say the world is terrible. There's times where I just want to scream because I don't want to experience, I do want to experience peace. But these things work in tandem together. And so here's a question I have for you. If your life was a tree, what sort of fruit would people see on it? As, as we've talked about before, if, if we look at, if, you, if your life was a picture of a tree over the years, is there more fruit on it today than there was five years ago? What is hanging on your tree? Now today I want to talk about, real quick, three enemies of love. 
three things that I think can sabotage love in our life from us receiving love and from us giving love. And the reason why I would even want to talk more on the negative side of talking about these enemies is just this. The reality is, is we live in a world where we have opposition. Scripture talks all about how that the enemy, Satan, is like this roaring lion seeking to destroy us, seeking to get us off center of Jesus. And so I think sometimes one of the best ways isn't just to say, just keep loving, just keep loving. It's to have a game plan of understanding some of the things that will be thrown at us so that way we won't be surprised so we can name it. You know, I think sometimes one of the biggest issues, at least in my life, is that I struggle with the sin that I won't name. That the things in my life that I allow to fester and stay and have a foothold in my life are things that either I don't have the language to put around and claim, or I don't have the boldness or the courage to call out what that is. Either I have shame or I have guilt, or I choose to purposely be... uh, Uh, ignorant about what is going on in my life. And so I want to talk about these three. I'll I'll let you know what they are, and then we're going to dive into them, okay? They're fear, hurry, and isolation. Fear, hurry, and isolation. Let's talk about fear real quick. Fear makes us believe the worst. It really does. I mean, think about a time when you have been afraid. How many of you, real quick, let's just think about this for a second. How many of you have ever... Google searched or got on WebMD and looked up the symptoms that you had. How many of you have believed that you had cancer before and definitely did not? How many of you thought that, uh, especially today, it's hard parenting, right? Because your kid gets a cold, you start looking up things online. How many of you have ever thought that your child had some sort of life-threatening disease in like a 10-second moment? Yeah, exactly. We've done those things. It's because fear begins to set in motion in our minds the worst-case scenario. It sets in motion things that aren't true. It might take parts of uh, a truth or something that has a room to say, hey, you can't prove this is wrong. But that's really what fear is. It's something that puts inside of our minds and our hearts this idea of something that isn't good. Fear tells us that we will never be able to be in a certain healthy relationship again. Fear tells us that people will never trust us because of that one thing that we did before. Fear tells us that, that, that if we were honest with people, they would all leave. In fact, some of us, fear tells us that if God knew what we were really like, which, spoiler alert, he does, he would never want it. Fear is a liar. And it's the enemy that we have to defeat. In 1 John chapter 4, it just says this, There is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, if you want to have a little bit of an inventory check on how you're doing in your spiritual growth, maybe, maybe one thing to look at is just to ask this question. How do I deal with fear in my life today? Now, here's the thing. Not all fear is bad. If you fall into a pit with a lion at a zoo... It's okay to be afraid of the lion. I'm going to be honest. That's okay. You maybe should run, figure out something. It's okay to experience fear, but fear, when it consumes us, it gets to a place where we stop trusting God. It gets to a place where we stop believing that God can and will come through. 
And I love how John writes that and just says there's no fear in love. True love doesn't allow fear to happen. I mean, think about it. A unhealthy relationship. If you had a friend who said, my spouse is making me afraid because they're physically uh, intimidating, we would probably look at them and say, that person doesn't love you. God doesn't put you into places to harm you. He uses situations to refine you, to shape you, to teach you. But God has no desire to harm you. You have no reason to fear God or to fear the fact that God isn't with you. I mean, that's the beauty of who God is. That's the beauty of how his love works, that his love is a love that is with us and is for us through the good and the bad and the difficult. Fear has to be called out. You know, sometimes when we experience anxiety, which I don't know if you realize this, but, but right now in, in, in our modern time, there are more people dealing with anxiety than like ever before. Now, there's a lot to have to do with how our brain is being rewired by these, about how our news cycle only tells us terrible things and how it's tribalistic. That's a different sermon that I've already given and I could give again. But one of the greatest answers to anxiety, and, and here's the thing, I want to always make sure I say this. If, if you're dealing with some sort of mental health issue, the bravest thing you can do is to get help. There's nothing wrong with dealing with that. And, and it's so important that if you need to seek out a trained professional, especially someone who knows Jesus, I know some great ones, and it would be so great for your life. But so many of us experience moments of anxiety because we don't call out fear for what it is. And we allow for it to fester and consume our lives. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had moments where I have made up in my mind a scenario with a relationship where it's almost like it feels real, like we had this, this terrible conversation or they told me this thing. And it can become paralyzing because fear just grips you. And what God has been teaching me over the last little while is to ask the Holy Spirit to just call out what is false. What is the fake news that I'm trying to tell myself? And allow the fear to just be dissipated, to be cast away. Here's the second thing, hurry. You know, I was reading this other book over the last year called uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by a guy named John Mark Comer. And, and the title comes from originally uh, this conversation between this famous uh, theologian Bible teacher named Dallas Willard and a guy named John Ortberg. And John was feeling just the stress and the weight of life and ministry. And he called Dallas Willard and he said, what must I do to just kind of continue growing forward? I'm stuck. And he says he paused, Dallas Willard did over the phone. And all he said is he just said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. It is the great enemy of spiritual growth. And John Mark Comer's book goes on in that. But it's interesting. John Mark uh, pointed this out, and I never thought about this. Have you ever noticed how Jesus is really never in a hurry? I mean, painstakingly annoying. There's a story, quite literally, where a man comes to him and says, hey, my daughter is, is like dead. Can you come and save her? And along the way, he stops and heals someone else. Or when uh, Lazarus, his good friend, passes away and they call him to come back and he stops along the way to do another healing. I mean, the guy walked at his own pace. He took naps during the day. I'm telling you, he's a smart guy. But he's never really in a hurry. 
John Ortberg says this. He says, hurry is not a disordered scheduled. Hurry is a disordered heart. Comer says this. Hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments as a father, a husband, and a pastor, even as a human being, are when I'm in a hurry. How many of you have ever said, man, the greatest thing my spouse has ever said to me was when they were in a hurry? How many would you say the most encouraging thing your parent ever said to you was while they were in a hurry? No, when we're in a hurry, we're hyper-focused on ourselves, we're easily irritable, and we're distracted. You know, Jesus was present to the moment. When he wasn't in the hurry, that's how he had the opportunity to interact with people and see them where they were, meet them right where they were at. Here's one last quote from The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Corey Ten Boom once said this, that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And there's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off our connection to God to others, and even to our own soul. What's your schedule look like? You know, the dominant conversation that I have with people, that I even say myself, is, is, is this. You start off by just saying, hey, how are you doing? Really great, just really busy. I mean, do you meet anyone anymore who doesn't say that? That's like the, the go-to thing of just... Uh, doing well, it's the, we're really busy. And we wear it kind of like a badge of honor. But I love, again, how Ortberg framed it. If you are living hurried, it's not a disordered schedule, it's a disordered heart. When we fragment ourselves doing so many things, and even sometimes good things, we miss out. We get to a place where we're not really giving to the most important things. We're not giving to God what he really needs, what he really wants, I should say. We're not giving to our our family, our loved ones, our friends, our church, because we're so busy. And if I could put this another way, hurry distracts us from both giving and receiving love. Hurry distracts us from both giving and receiving love. You know, whenever I have to do a heart check for myself and say, wow, I just feel out of whack. I feel anxious, I feel worried, I don't feel connected to God. You know what, nine times out of ten I figured out? I've been in a hurry in my life. I didn't wake up early enough to spend time with him. I was too busy at lunchtime to try to spend time with him because I already had five other things going on. Here's the thing, I understand we all have busy lives, we have responsibilities. But again, we have to begin to take prioritizing Uh, our schedule as really prioritizing our hearts. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if you are constantly hurrying, you are going to miss out on the love of God, and you're going to miss out on receiving the love from God, and you're going to miss out on giving love to people that God most wants to use you to love. Here's the last one. Isolation. Isolation tries to cut us off from love. If God, if the enemy can't make you afraid, if the enemy can't get you so busy and hurried, then he'll isolate you. I mean, think about it. That, that, that's how we know someone's in a toxic relationship often, right? 
That's one of the kind of the telltale signs. The person tries to isolate the person away from their family and their loved ones. You know, in the same way, some of the worst moments in my life, the things that I've done, the worst things, I've thought the worst things, have usually when I've been isolated. The times that I spend and I allow the fear to grip me are when I'm isolated. No one is speaking words of life over me. I'm not connected in the body of Christ. No one's asking me tough questions. You see, we were created to be in community. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What I love about that is it reminds us that one of the beauties of the body of Christ is that it motivates us and encourages us to do acts of love. I think that's important to realize. It reminds us that on our own, when we are isolated, we are not naturally loving people. We're just not. I mean, again, agape love is something we don't produce ourselves. And so if we aren't connected to the God of all the universe and his bride, the church, we probably are not going to be very loving. And we're not really going to experience love. But I love how he reminds us the importance of continually meeting together. You know, it's crazy how I meet people who say, man, I don't feel connected to God. I don't feel connected to church. And I ask them, well, how often do you come? Or how, uh, how connected are you in? Are you in a small group or a Bible study? And almost every time it's, no, I'm not. And uh, we come like once every month or every other month. I'm not dogging you if you have schedule issues. I'm not dogging you when there's sickness. You know what? Everyone is at their spot where they have to keep moving forward. But it's sort of like being mad and frustrated that you only go to the gym once a month and you're not seeing the results you want to see. You have to put in the work. You have to keep showing up. And you can't allow the fear or the hurry in your life to allow you to be isolated. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it just says this, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace in various. If you want to choose love daily, live out First Peter chapter. Be a person of love and grace. You know what I don't think is going to happen at the end of time? I don't think... Who's ever standing at the pearly gates is going to say, well, Katie, I'm sorry. You just were way too loving to people in this life. You're really gracious and forgiving, and uh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I, you know, sorry about that because your, your attendance on this wasn't as great or this wasn't that great. He's not going to say that. He's not going to say, hey, you know what? You, you were too hospitable to these people, and I, I really didn't want you to be the hospitable to these type of people. No, at the end of time, we'll be judged by how much love did we receive from God? How much love did we give out? The gifts that we have, the time, the talent, and the treasure, 
We are stewards. We have been given those things to give out. And someday we'll be given account. So here's my question. How are you doing at giving out love? How are you doing at receiving love? Because here at South Creek, we say this often, that loved people love people. That if we are loved, if we've experienced the life-changing love of Jesus Christ, but we don't love people, we're not transformed. So if you've been loved by God, you have to love others. I don't know exactly where everyone is at in their own journey. I don't know what they uh, need to take their next step. But whatever it is, begin to ask God, how can I become and embody love more? Maybe it's taking the step of of being baptized. Maybe it's the step of being involved in a group or a uh, Bible study. We're going to look to launch some more life groups coming up uh, in the springtime uh, in the next month or so. Maybe that's a place you need to connect. Maybe you're just like, I need someone to walk one-on-one with me. Let us know. We would love to help connect you. But you have to take steps towards that. You have to find a place to serve. You have to figure out ways in which love can begin to shape you. And it can't just naturally happen. It takes intentionality. Ephesians chapter 5 just says this. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma to God. Friends, choose love every day. Receive love every day and give love. May we imitate God so that when people see us, they see Jesus. When They see us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. Would it not just be another person, but would it be a light in a dark place? Would it be a breath of fresh air that brings hope and joy into a weary and down world? Could we choose love? Would you guys pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for the fact that, God, you are the God of love. That God, you saw fit that even in the midst of our brokenness and our sin, that you loved us so much that you would send your one and only son, Jesus, into this world. That God, if we would believe in him, if we would follow him, become a disciple, an apprentice of your son, Jesus, that we too could experience new life, that we could experience love, that nothing in this world compares to. God, this morning I pray that if there's anybody who never has experienced that love or maybe who has walked away from relationship with your son Jesus, would they hear this morning that they are a son and they are a daughter who has been called to come back home and to experience the love of the Father. And all they have to do is just ask for forgiveness. Say, God, I am sorry for the brokenness. I'm sorry for the way that fear and hurry and, and how I've isolated myself from you. And I truly just want to follow you. Would they know that this morning there would be a party going on in heaven for them? God, for some of us today, God, as we've had to deal with looking at our past, deciding what is the fruit on our tree, do we look any different? God, I pray that if our conclusion has come to there's less fruit, 
I've stayed the same or I've went backwards. God, would we repent of that? Would we turn from that? And would we find ways, whether it's accountability, whether it's reorienting our schedule and prioritizing our heart, God, to experience change. Most of all, would we seek out and say, God, would your Holy Spirit fill our lives? Would it transform our hearts so that, God, we would never be the same? God, wherever we're at this morning, God, would we just hear from you? Would our ears and our hearts be open to hear whatever you have to say to us? Father God, we, your children, are listening. Please speak. In Jesus' name I pray.